Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Yes, it's a little damp this morning, that uh, Smart Garden. We always welcome your lawn and garden questions. However, Mary Meyer is back with us, a faculty member of Horticultural Science at the University of Minnesota Extension. Mary, good morning. Good, good morning. to see you again. Great to be here. Now Jenny. let's let's identify your colleague. We do oh, we yes. do this every time John's with <laughs> us, but I want him. I want his title to be exact. John, what is your title? Postdoctoral research assistant. Okay, but well, he's we call him the turf guru here. We simplify it. He's our turf expert, and the, this is here we are. The growing season. And uh, yes, lawns are looking, well, I would say pretty good, at least in my case, for a change. Right. We, I think we've had a great spring for lawns for our cool season yeah. grasses, right, John? Pretty much ideal. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Mary and I, John, were talking before, and we <laughs> seems to be doing it with Julie and with Teresa. I thought, my boxwoods that were well-established oh. are done. They're right. fried. Yeah. This is such a tough year for the two premier, two of our great plants that have died a lot through the winter, boxwoods and burning bush. And tell me why again. Well, we think it was uh, the winter before the snow. So all of us have a great memory of the huge snowfall we had. But before the snow in January, we had low temperatures, uh, our typical zone four, but too cold with no snow. Cover. Oh, what a difference. And what a difference. And so the broadleaf uh, evergreen, the boxwood, took a real hit. And so did burning bush. Burning bush may have been damaged by rabbits. Uh, and then rabbits, of course, when it did snow, got up way high. They did huge amounts of damage. But burning bush just seemed to be really vulnerable this year. Mm. So we've seen 10, 15 year old burning bushes that are barely alive wow. and uh, just a winter kill. So it's tough. I keep waiting for my boxwood to come back, and it hasn't <laughs> done much of anything. No, not not a lot of green there. No. So those brown parts, I have a boxwood knot, and it's about 20% brown. And um, I've been looking at it, and it's various shades of brown. But a lot of those brown stems, the leaves and everything, everything is brown, and the whole stem all the way yes. down to the ground is dead in the middle. So you can cut out some of the brown, and then we just have to evaluate whether or not we need to replace it. But uh, I'm still going to wait a couple more weeks. Uh, July 15th is my cutoff date for pruning that boxwood. So I, I usually prune it right about now. I like you the term, the, the cutoff the date. Cut-off date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cutoff date. So this is because you, you want that any new growth that's rejuvenated by pruning, you want that to harden before winter. So between now and the next month, and I'll be in again. I will let everyone know when oh, I do, do yeah. prune that boxwood. 
and uh, and make a decision. But I'm surprised how little it's growing. Yeah, I'm with you. I'll I'll follow your lead. <laughs> Do the <laughs> same thing. It's uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but really that's is. the the perils of Minnesota gardening. Yep. By the way, if you have a lawn or garden question, now's your chance because of Mary and John in studio answering your questions, either by phone or by text. Uh, we cleared the lines now, and we're ready for your questions. 651-989-9226, or send uh, us a text, 81807. And you know we tend to get busy on this show, so don't wait. We want to get as many questions as we can uh, answer, both phone and uh, text this morning. I want to ask John a question, Mary, about uh, what what could or should we be doing to our lawns now, if anything, as far as fertilizing, weed and feed, stuff like that? So uh, right now is probably... Uh, most of the lawn maintenance that, that we'd be recommending is just general good cultural practices, best management practices. And that includes uh, for things like uh, lawn mowing, making sure that you're uh, recycling or mulching or returning the clippings to the, to the lawn area that you're, you're doing. Do not collect them and bag them uh, and try to compost them off-site. Uh, also, just make sure that you're mowing uh, as, the, as the grass needs it, so where you're ideally not removing any more than one-third of the leaf surface. Uh, at a time when you're mowing. Um, and for most people, that ends up being every week to 10 days or so. Uh, but uh, And also, as far as mowing height, the higher the better, uh, and generally speaking, up until uh, four to five inches or so, but uh, at least three inches, uh, but uh, try to get the higher the better. Now, uh, I'm thinking... <laughs> Not that it's ever happened to me, but uh, I'm thinking with the grass is longer than really it should be. Maybe I was on vacation or whatever, and it and I cut it, but don't bag it, and then it's left on the lawn and it's kind of clumpy. Is that that's not necessarily good, is it, or does that hurt the lawn? Yeah, some some people have uh, like a, a no mow fine fescue lawn is one of the ones that we call them, and that's just kind of like a feathered look. Uh, it's like a no mow area that is really only mowed once or twice a year. Uh, and a lot of times, if if they if they do have that that lawn type, uh, you would when you do clip uh, when you do mow, you would have an excessive amount of clippings on the surface, and that would actually harm the grass there that's growing there. So, yeah. if you have uh, uh, if there is an excessive amount of clippings, in that case, you would need to to the bag at least in that that one exactly. particular cut. All right, let's go to the phones. Let's see. Uh, Jim is calling from Spring Lake Park. Jim, what's your question? Yeah, my neighbor has creeping Charlie in his backyard and is trying to go through my chain link fence. What can I do to get rid of it? All right, we have our first creeping Charlie question today. <laughs> first of many, probably. First uh, of many. Yeah, so, uh, creeping Charlie is by far one of the most problematic weeds in the area, as I'm sure you've experienced. Uh, I think uh, there's uh, two schools of thought here. One is uh, understanding why the creeping Charlie is there. It's coming from your neighbor, of course, but it, it might also be because of excessive shade and things like that. But uh, creeping Charlie will get in pretty much everywhere. It doesn't really matter if you have a dense lawn or not. But um, so there's a there's really only one uh, chemical option as far, that's that's effective on creeping Charlie. That's a selective herbicide, and it's triclopyr. It's T R I C L O P Y R. Uh, is the name of the active ingredient, and it can be found in a, in a number of uh, products that are sold in uh, uh, consumer stores like uh, big box stores and things like that, uh, lawn and garden centers. So triclopyr is the active ingredient. It, it would take a couple of different applications uh, of sequential applications spread about uh, two to three weeks apart, and uh, and then you could remove that. But that's an, admittedly, that's going to be an uphill battle for you, unfortunately. Yeah, it really is. 
Is there a time of year that's best to treat uh, cre- uh, Creeping Charlie? Yeah, the, the that's a great question. The, the fall is ideal because that's when the cool season grasses that were growing in this area, they're most competitive at that time, and the Creeping Charlie is starting to slow down its growth. So uh, that so you can fill in with your lawn at the same time as you're removing the Creeping Charlie. But uh, you could do it right now. I would just avoid uh, spraying that chemical anytime it's above 85 degrees. Oh, okay. Good thought. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Richard is calling from uh, Brooklyn Center with a question. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. What can we do for you? Uh, what is the best time to trim a Crimson King maple tree, and what is the cutoff date? <laughs> um, you can uh, you can prune a maple tree right now. The, the cutoff date for a lot of our deciduous plants is uh, mid-July, so that's July 15th. Prune it before that time so that the new growth isn't injured going through the winter. Um, having said that, uh, maple, a lot of our arborists and so on do pruning in the winter when the plants are completely dormant. That's the safest time to prune um, oaks and ash, the two trees that we have issues with pests problems. Uh, so the in the dead of the winter is fine. For the uh, Crimson King Norway maple, you can do that pruning right now. That's a pretty vigorous tree uh, that has that really dense shade. So you could do uh, pruning right now. Okay. Texter, by the way, if you have a lawn or garden question you want to send via text 81807 or call us 651-989-9226. Texter says, when I see a little growth at the base of the burning bushes, maybe if we take them down low, might they come back? Yes, that's true. They might come back. It really depends on how much kill there is in that entire plant. Um, when I saw the small amount, relatively speaking, of the damage on my dog or boxwood, I thought, oh, this is going to be okay. It's going to grow out of it. But the growing out of it is so slow, it's hard for us to tell how much of the whole root system was damaged as well. So, yes, that's certainly an option. The top is dead. You can cut it down to where it's alive. If it's strong enough, it might come back. Okay. Another text says, do little lime hydrangeas tend to bloom later in the summer? Um, Yes, they haven't bloomed yet. So uh, we're getting the soon past our spring bloomers and into the summer bloomers. And that's when the um, hydrangea arborescence, little lime, will start blooming. So that's a summer bloomer. Yes, it comes a little bit later. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Just If you're just joining us now, Mary Meyer and John Trappy in from the University of Minnesota Extension to help. We're talking lawns and gardens as we do every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. A lot of help in studio. Take advantage of it. Call us or text us, and we'll get back to both. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on CCO Radio. We uh, have one line open if you have a lawn or garden question, uh, 651-989-9226. In the meantime, you can send a text, 818 818- Zero seven. Mary Meyer, John Trappy in from the University of Minnesota. As I said earlier, we got a lot of help, a lot of brain power here in the studio, so take advantage of it. Boy, we've got a lot of texts and phone calls, so uh, let's get to it. I want to ask you about the Arboretum, too, as yes. we move through the uh, rest of the day here. Uh, do We did this. Is it too late, Texter says, to start a vegetable straw bale garden? No, I would go ahead and do that. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, you could put some short uh, season things like uh, zucchini, uh, maybe try green beans in that. Uh, 
Soil is number one for growing your plants, but if you want to try the bale gardening, it's a fun way uh, to try that too. You have to be careful with uh, nutrient availability and then uh, supplying quite a bit of water and always full sun. Always full sun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Bob, who's calling from Downing, Wisconsin, I believe, with a question. Uh, go ahead, Bob. You're on CCO. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Right. I got a bleeding heart. Somebody told me I could cut that back after it flowers and it'll come back again. I was wondering how far back I'd have to cut that. So I wouldn't worry at all about cutting back your bleeding heart. It will naturally die. It, it might be starting to turn a little bit yellow already. It will naturally die, and the whole thing is going to look like it's dead, but it will come back again next year. It's a good perennial for us, uh, and they, they look nice this spring with a cooler weather conditions. So don't worry about cutting it because it's uh, storing food for next year, so it will come back from the root. Okay. Let's go to Mankato. I believe Nate is uh, waiting there with a question. Nate, you're on CCO. Yes, a very good morning to you. I was sitting out on the deck this morning, and I noticed a tree. Half it's changing colors already. It's almost got red leaves or whatever. I called you a year ago, and I had the same issue. We've had a lot of water down here, and some of the trees did stand in water for a period of time. Okay, I lost. The trees I referred to a year ago, you know, the same situation was going on. My question is, if you remove the half of the tree that, you know, where you see discoloration, half of it has good color, the other half is discolored, uh, will that save the tree or is it basically on death row? I don't think I would do any pruning on that, Nate, because... Even though the leaves are red, they still have the ability to produce some carbohydrates, photosynthesis for the tree. So you'd just be cutting off some of the food reserves if you took off what was discoloring or, or early fall coloration now. That does, uh, it is a sign of stress for the tree. My guess is these are maples. Maples t- tend to do that. Maples uh, are one of our trees that will tolerate a lot of water or, or more uh, water-saturated soil. So, um, yeah, at this point, I, I'm really not sure what to tell you. I guess I'd go first for a positive identification of what are those trees and consider replanting trees that have a really good tolerance to soil moisture like our larch, a native larch, which really grows in the swamps. Okay. Uh, let's talk to uh, Dolly. Dolly has a question here on season. Good morning, Dolly. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Up until a year ago, I had some beautiful flocks in my flower garden, and they started to turn like drying up from the ground on up. And now this year, when they're they're coming up again, but they're starting to turn kind of yellow again, and I'm wondering if there's something, you know, some kind of a bug or something in there that I need to take care of. Good question, Dolly. Phlox is one of our really tough uh, garden perennials, and I'm not sure what's wrong with yours. If I were you, I would dig around and see if you can find anything um, in the ground that's tunneling there or eating the root system, maybe mice or voles or something are living in there. But uh, otherwise, uh, I would make sure that it has enough water um, there are there are some insects, but boy, not very many. More more uh, mildew problems with flocks than anything else. The other thing you could do is take a couple pictures of it, and you can send those pictures in to ask an expert. That's a link on our extension.umn.edu uh, 
uh, page, just click on Garden and then ask an expert the link that's there. Yeah, let's mention that website again. Uh, That's such a great resource. Yes, extension.umn.edu and Garden. Uh, We also have our Yard and Garden newsletter, which you can get on a regular basis. You can sign up to get that in your email. It's once or twice a month throughout the year with lots of garden tips. Uh, We've got the 10 10 tips now for lawn care that's on there. We have what to do about mosquitoes and gnats that we're all uh, fighting and we have an article about, oh, plastic pots, what to do with recycling your plastic pots from the garden. That's our We just had about. another text about that very thing, so yes, check it out. Yeah, check it out. All right, very good. I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to uh, take a break and uh, have a look at that forecast, too. Uh, call in your lawn and garden question at 651-989-9226 or send a text 81807. And good morning. Welcome back to CCO Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here in the studio helping you out. Mary Meyer and uh, John Traffy. we're talking again, lawns and gardens. So give us a call or send a text like about a million people have done, as a matter of fact. Yes, uh, I tell you what, let's see how many folks we can help out here. Uh, Sandy, I believe, is first up. Sandy, what is your question for... Uh, Yes. is on what time to go ahead and pick the vegetables. I understand that it's best to pick corn in the morning and green beans in the evening for their sugar content. I'm curious about potatoes, sweet potatoes, tomatoes, and, and sweet peppers. I never heard of that before. Um, yes. Uh, early in the morning actually is good to pick a lot of vegetables. Uh, the peak of the day, there's a lot of heat in the vegetables. You have to cool those down quickly and uh, take them out of the garden to get them cool. So when conditions, first of all, when they're ripe, and then number two, when conditions are cool is is a good rule of thumb. But potatoes, sweet potatoes, uh, they, those sweet potatoes will take our whole growing season. Unless you want something that's really small, they they need 140 days. So that's that's the whole growing season for us. So those are uh, Irish or white potatoes are a little bit shorter and vary. So if you still have the information that came with the plant, the tag or the seed packet, that tells you the days to harvest with different crops, and that's a good guideline. But um, cool cool time of day. Okay. It's a good rule of thumb. Interesting. Texter wants to know, can I prune all of my bushes after they flower? Well, that's kind of a good rule <laughs> of thumb. But, uh, yeah, that's that you can kind of, especially if flowers are your main criteria for a lot of us, that is true. So with lilacs, they've... The main big common lilacs have finished flowering, so prune them when they're done. Wygelia is going to finish in a little while. Uh, Hydrangeas, you can do that. The only issue is getting into the close to the winter. Pruning encourages growth, so Mm. you don't want that new growth to get winter injury. Very good. Uh, Jim is calling from Andover with a question. Jim, you're on CCO. Hello, uh, Mary and John. I have a question. I'm in the landscape business, so I travel around yard to yard. And this week, I've seen probably six different lawns where it looks like drought stress. At first, I thought it might be chemical damage, but there were large areas, 6, 8, 10, 12 feet across. And wondering, do you have any idea what that might be? Yeah, if it, if you're seeing drought stress right now, it could potentially be uh, white grubs, Um but they're they're almost to their adult stage where we're going to start finding those uh, Japanese beetle mass chafer adults around. 
Uh, but but if it if it's an area that looks like drought stress and it's uh, and it's not responding to the rainfall that we've had, then that would be my first guess. Uh, what you could do is you could go up and actually try to try to pull on it, and if if it feels like like the plants themselves are healthy, but they just come up without any roots, uh, that's there's probably a really good indication that it is uh, either grubs or another insect feeding on it. Uh, and you can either just uh, use like a shovel and try to pull back the sod a little bit, and you should probably and you should be able to find some white grubs or or the pest itself. Another thing you could do is just a soapy uh, mix up a, a jug of uh, soapy water and pour it over the area. And if there are uh, any type of uh, larvae uh, from like sod web worms or uh, army worms that also can cause some of these symptoms, they would all come to the surface from that soapy water solution. And uh, that's a good scouting tip there. For mm, interesting. Uh, ter- a texter says, my Merrill Magnolia did not blossom this year and has had fewer blooms in the past two years. The leaves are small and curled this year. Two branches have very few leaves, almost no leaves. Anything we can do to bring it back? I think you should examine this tree to make sure, or shrub that makes sure uh, you don't have magnolia scale. Mm. So that's a severe insect problem that's been quite prevalent in the last few years in our area. Um, the scales live all along the bark, and they have a hard shell on them. Uh, you can also look up magnolia scale on our extension.umn.edu website and get pictures and see what that looks like. So my guess would be it's got magnolia scale or it might have had winter injury. And there again, that would cause a lot of uh, dieback to the plant itself. So uh, I, you, you can cut back whatever is dead on it, uh, but really examine it for magnolia scale. Okay. Uh, here's a question. See what you uh, both think of this. Is a clover lawn practical in Minnesota? I that, think so. Yes. You like clover. Yeah, absolutely. I think I you know, I think that's that's going to end up uh becoming more and more popular as as uh as we figure out how to actually grow and maintain those uh two plants together. Uh one of the issues with the clover species is that they're not very shade tolerant. So um it, so a lot of times what ends up happening is is they either outcompete the grass or they're outcompeted by the grass. Uh so uh, if you do your best bet by doing so would uh, if you did want to have a clover lawn clover and grass lawn is uh, by using uh, some of the fine fescues specifically the hard fescue uh, would be uh, would be best to try to get those two to grow together hmm. all right bees love it don't they bees love, bees that love it it's just starting to flower now uh, in my lawn and you can buy clover mm-hmm. seed at a lot of garden centers okay mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, go back to the phones. Jerry is calling from uh, Hudson, I believe. Uh, Jerry, you're on CCO. Good morning. My question is, I have um, an area in front of my house which is exposed in the wintertime, and I have iris, peonies, um, and several other plants that have been there probably about 22 years. And this year, um, my tulips... A, a handful of tulips, I saw buds, and they did not open up into blooms. My daffodils didn't uh, bloom at all, and my peonies that were beautiful for years have slowly declined, and um, I only have a few blossoms on the peonies now. I'm not real good about fertilizing. Um, I'm kind of haphazard about that, so I don't know if it's just a tough winter for everything or if I'm really under-fertilizing or something else is going on. 
Well, it, yes, um, Jerry, it could be a, a combination of things. Uh, one of the keys that you mentioned is that exposure. Your garden is exposed, so maybe it's the south side. So that's the roughest conditions for our winter, and that's where if we don't have snow cover and protection, the the frost can go further. Uh, the freeze-thaw cycle is more extreme, so it's a rougher time for plants, even the hardy ones like the iris and peony that you described. So they may live for a few years but then gradually decline. And we had severe losses from the winter this past January. Even our tough, hardy plants, on the northern protected sides of homes were damaged severely. So I think you've got the the right mix of things, but um, it's just what might happen on the south side of your house. The tulips and daffodils, tulips especially, decline over time. So I would consider Mm -hmm. replanting the tulips and daffodils. Every three or four years, you'll probably Mm -hmm. need to replant those. But iris and peony, those those are good bets, but they could have just reached the end of their uh, time. Mm, Okay. Back to the phones we go. Uh, Tom in New Hope has a question, I believe. Tom, what is your question? Yes, I've got an answer for the Creeping Charlie. My wife planted uh, hosta all around the edging of our lawn many years ago. I added a river rock about 1 foot to 15 inches from the neighbor. And this acted as a barrier, and then it's easier to see it coming in. And uh, good fertilizer on your grass will help your grass grow stronger, and you can actually kill it before it gets in, like a moat. Like a moat. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, good ideas. Yes. (laughs) Very good. So the pasta and then the rock and then, uh, yeah, make your own barrier. We have smart listeners for sure. Uh, Here's a text that says, my rhododendron full of buds, but obviously not going to bloom. My azalea is done. Should I trim them both now? They're huge and needed. And will the rhododendron get blooms on for next year? A couple of questions. Hopefully it will. Yes, this is the right time to do the pruning on those. Uh, We saw some beautiful azaleas. Here it is, the winter that killed a lot of other things, and the azaleas just came through beautifully this year. So really amazing. But uh, the, the rhododendron... Gosh, I would just make sure that that's well uh, watered and uh, as we go in now through the fall and everything, and hopefully it will make enough food reserves to bloom again next year. All right. Uh, here's a text that says, can rhubarb plants that are infected with, is it rumelaria leaf spot, be harvested? Should the stalks all be removed from the plant now? So if you have leaf spot on your rhubarb, right, pruning that out, removal of the diseased portion of it is a good idea. Um, You know, you can eat that. It's uh, uh, not the fungal diseases on plants are totally different than what would affect us as humans. Most people cook rhubarb and that will take care of any uh, killing any organism that's in there. But pruning out what is disease and where those spots are is a good idea. Uh, Disease plants are best disposed of in the municipal compost sites where it gets really, really hot. Okay. Uh, Texas has planted 20 new perennials such as asters, coneflowers, and a stilby. How can I protect them from rabbits? Also, how frequently should I water the new plants? So the only uh, way to protect them I know of is really a barrier, uh, a a fence around that area. Uh, There are some repellents that you can put out. You have to put those out regularly uh, for rabbits. Um, rabbits aren't affected so much by odor. Uh, they are by taste, but not so much by odor. So 
There, uh, there are some pepper repellents, uh, sprays and things that you can put on, but um, the most uh, effective one really is a fence. And then the watering, um, you, you know, if it's not raining once a week, I would say every 10 days you should be watering the, the new plants, mostly just this summer. Uh, hopefully they'll establish, and then next summer you won't need to do much watering. Okay, well, I think we have another rabid question from Chris in Bloomington. Hey, Chris, what is your question? Well, hello, guys. Uh, I built some raised beds. Uh, raised beds. Um, they're 36 inches tall. Is that high enough where I don't have to put a fence? Or do those buggers jump even higher than that? No, I think 36 inches is enough for a rabbit, as long as there's no way that they can crawl up the side or, or any little ledge that they can get onto. Uh, 36 inches is probably high enough for the rabbit. Okay. Tell you what, let's do. Let's take a quick break here. Invite our listeners to hang around. Uh, We have more callers. We have texters. More questions to answer here on our Smart Garden Show on CCO. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to CCO Smart Garden Show. Denny Long in studio with Mary Meyer and uh, John Trappy from the University of Minnesota Extension. Now, we've got callers and we have texters. Let's do this. These folks have been waiting for a while to get on. Alan in St. Paul is next on the phone. Alan, go ahead with your question, please. Good morning. I have flocks, lilies, and hostas, and they're doing very well this year. But now I have deer munching on the top of those plants. Will those plants bloom? And how can I discourage the deer from dining on these plants? Uh, Your flocks and hosta might still bloom, but the lilies Mm -hmm. probably will not. Uh, They don't usually uh, have uh, auxiliary buds or side uh, shoots once the top uh, gets taken off. Well, deer are affected by uh, uh, smell. They don't like uh, the smell of garlic and pepper and humans and and certain soaps. But, again, the best thing is a barrier. Uh, This morning at 7.15, I saw a deer in front of my house on the street in the 75 neighborhood home that I live in. Their deer are everywhere. Oh, they are. Uh, Yeah. Right. Yeah, and they're not... So just uh, the physical barrier you can try. They don't like to step in things. You can put lie down some tomato cages around your plants. They don't like to get their legs caught in things. But, uh, you know, they can lean over. And, oh, yeah. uh, so it's it's tough, uh, Alan. It's a, a big issue. really is. All right, let's grab a call, and then we'll get uh, back to the text. Marsha is calling from uh, Bloomington. Hi, Marsha. What's your question? Hi, I have uh, Alba shrub rose that's about six feet to eight feet tall and the foliage is just beautiful and it has lots of flowers and the shoots are about uh, a pot bottle size uh, round but whenever we get a high wind or a heavy rain the rain just knocks it right flat the branches just curl over and they never come back and right now I have it I'm supporting it with a bunch of uh, strips of sheet. And I've only fertilized it with rose food once this year. I usually forget to do that. But this is a perennial problem that the, the, the new branches are so pliable and so weak that they fall over and they never come back up. Do you have any suggestions? I think you're going to have to figure out some type of staking for this. So whether you use green... Uh, Garden stakes from the lawn garden store or bamboo stakes or some other type of structure, even a couple of um, 
tomato cages or some type of hardware cloth, I would figure out a uh, earlier uh, so that the plant can grow up around it early in the spring, put on some type of staking, then it will hopefully grow up around that, and that will still uh, help to support it. So uh, it's it's wonderful to have a big rose like that with so many uh, blooms on it. Uh, it's very healthy. It's in a great location, but it's just growing too much too quickly to support the weight of it. You know, we were talking off air about uh, the Arboretum, and my son and I were practicing some photography techniques at uh, two or three Sundays ago. And it was so much fun doing that. And I hadn't been there for a while, but there were so many people there at the time and all these different languages were being heard spoken there. What a neat place that is. It's the best. The Arboretum right now is just fantastic. So the peonies are about to peak. The peonies on the peony walk are just just outstanding. The iris are peaking now. And we have the You Betcha Castle. <laughs> the You Betcha Castle is so much fun. It's I think it's uh, it's much more when you're inside than when you see it from afar. So it's five towers with five labyrinths on the inside that you can you can hide in, practice your photography, yes. play with your children or your grandchildren. So, and in addition to the plants, the You Betcha Palace is there. The botanical illustrations are fantastic from uh, garden centers and botanic gardens all over the world. It's uh, people are coming just to see that botanical uh, illustration exhibit. But what a fantastic place to visit! And right. to get there is uh, what easy. Please. West of the city, it's just past the intersection of Forty One and Five. And uh, yeah, look at the website for the hours. Basically, the hours are eight to eight. Uh, so beautiful place to walk around, get some exercise, and look at the wonderful plants we have in Minnesota. Absolutely. All right, let's go back to the, see how many text messages we can answer before uh, you both leave us today. If you prune your maples, what do you put on the end of the cut? You don't need to put anything on there. The plant will make its own uh, healing and will partition that off. So you don't need to do any, any uh, wound painting, we used you, to call that. You mentioned uh, peonies. Uh, Texture says, can I dig a piece of my peony from the outside of the plant, share with a friend, or do I need to dig up the whole plant and divide it? I'm hoping that doing it this way will not affect the blooms on my plant. You can do this, and you will not get the whole plant because that peony root system is like a tree. They have a gigantic, big mammoth root system, so you'll only get part of it, even if you want to get the whole thing. And you should do that in the fall. So wait till uh, wait till it's starting to die down in the fall and do it then. Okay. Dexter wants to know, does asparagus have a lifespan? We have had many good years with ours, but this year we only got a few stalks. New stalks are puny and few. We are letting it rest, they say. It kind of does. I mean, it's a long-lived perennial, so you can get 20 years out of it easily. But uh, it responds well to manure and fertilizer. And if it's getting shadier, if the trees are growing around it, that will really reduce it. But um, commercial growers don't use a a field forever. They're always rejuvenating uh, asparagus beds. This might be a suggestion for the uh, website. Texture says, I'm looking for some shrubs to fill in where my pink honeysuckle bushes have gotten too scraggly. I like bridal wreath so far. Any suggestions? There's another shrub bigger with white flowers. What that might be? Well, maybe they could do <laughs> some probably, identification. Maybe viburnum is your other shrub. But the bridal wreath spirea is good. I love the native viburnums. A lot of the consideration really is height 
Uh, how big a shrub do you want there? Is it sunny? Is it shady? Mm-hmm. What type of soil? And so on. So, mm-hmm. yes, we have a wonderful plant finder. Julie Weisenhorn has worked on that. If you go to extension.umn.edu, click on garden, and then uh, landscape plants, you'll find that uh, the the plant finder there. But uh, viburnums are wonderful. So are dogwoods. We have many, many great native shrubs that you can plant. All right. Texture says this. And, John, maybe you can help me with this. I believe I have, Texture says, yarrow. Yarrow in my lawn. Uh, I mow and, <clears throat> excuse me, never have seen it flower, but it still seems to spread. What are the best control measures for that? The, well, first of all, the best control measure is a dense, healthy turf to prevent it from coming back uh, next year. So uh, one thing that uh, most broadleaf herbicides would control that. Uh, I think yarrow is going to be uh, is nearing the end of its life cycle, uh, I believe, right now. So uh, if that's the case, then I would I, I – would, Hold off and um, on spraying that. Just let it uh, continue its its uh, life cycle, and really focus on making sure you have good cultural practices throughout the rest of this growing season. Uh, maybe uh, uh, apply some fertilizer this fall to try to fill in those areas. All right, we have about a minute to go. Wedding veil spirea, many dead branches this year. What do I do? Every other year, it's been green and full of flowers. Yes, this probably, again, was a uh, winter damage. So I would cut off anything that's dead. That wedding veil or bridal respirea mm-hmm. is quite hardy, and mm-hmm. um, that can rejuvenate from the base again. It will take a while to completely come back. But, uh, yeah, so I just cut out what's dead. Well, let's mention again as, as we end the show about that great uh, website from the U of M and what you can find there. Yes, uh, extension.umn.edu. Click on Garden. You can find... Uh, all the pests and diseases, what's, what weed is this, what insect is this, uh, plants for all your yard and garden needs. We have a survey we're going to be putting out and uh, asking our listeners, you, to talk about this show and what, oh. how it has uh, helped you. So extension.umn.edu. Good deal. We'll see you next time. Thank you both. Thanks, Mary. Thanks, John. Thanks, Thanks for, your, thanks for your, your help. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.